0: Welcome back to the Holistically Awakened podcast. Today we have Lindsay Tobias on the podcast today and she and I are going to have a discussion around something that really is a conversation that I think is very important and that a lot of us need to tune into and something that I really struggled with. So it's something that's really close to my heart because I did have a a pretty significant battle with food and my body for a few years. And it's always something I think that we're all learning and, you know, processing as we go along. And it is something that I see all the time with PCOS women. And it really breaks my heart because this is an issue that's starting earlier and earlier. Even children now are becoming obsessed with, you know, being skinnier or looking a certain way and they're starting diets at an earlier age, and it can just be so damaging to the body on a physical level, obviously, but also mental and emotional. And so I think that this podcast episode today is really important because we really dive deep into it. And Lindsay and I both have a lot of our past experience with this. And I hope that this can help you if this is something you're struggling with, or if this is something, you know, somebody you love is struggling with, if you can share this, I think that could be so helpful to create a movement that is really looking at our bodies and food in a different lens from the sort of mass media message of eat less, exercise more, you have to change yourself, all of that kind of thing. So Lindsay Tobias, she is a certified holistic health coach, exercise physiologist and she's the owner of Keep Your Plants On, and she is specifically coaching around relationship with food in your body and also balancing your hormones. So I'm really excited to welcome Lindsay onto the podcast today and get this conversation started. All right. So welcome, Lindsay, to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here because as soon as I found you online, I was like, I resonate with this girl so much. I feel like we both have some the same message but in sort of a different approach because we do kind of focus on different like niches and everything. Um but honestly, I can I can definitely see like so much in common and so I just had to have you come on here. So I'm really excited to have our little chat today. And as always, I always like to kind of get into your story because nobody gets into this field just because, like there's always something that happens. And I always love to hear a little bit about that. So I'd love to hear from you, what's your story?
1: Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, thank you so much. The feeling is incredibly, incredibly mutual. Um, but you're very right. No one gets into this field for no reason. And I specialize in relationship to food relationship to body, um, helping women heal their hormones. Um, all of all of what goes around basically a very imbalanced life. And there's no way that I got into that by just maintaining a balanced life my entire existence. And it's just an easy go lucky. Um, No, I think that, so a little bit about me, my name is Lindsay and um, I'm a certified holistic health coach. And my story started about seven years ago when I lost my period. And I lost my period because I was, uh, division one athlete, like I was the most active person in the entire world, but never for the sake of weight loss. Like it was always, I was just pursuing something that just brought me joy. I loved volleyball. It was moving constantly and my body just wasn't maintaining the same pace (laughs) as my mind was. And, um, I just became very okay with having a menorrhea and, just not having a period. And actually my first period when I was 12 was 140 days (laughs) and cut off by birth control at 12, because yep, that was the only option that you can have at 12 years old. Um, And so for a while, it, it kind of just like kept going and, and I didn't really think about it because why would I want my period? I'm saving so much money on tampons. Um, And then I started to get really into nutrition, and I got really into nutrition, started studying, and quickly realized that, hey, who knew food can actually manipulate your body composition? Like, I can actually change the way I look. How fascinating. And of course, we take that and we run. And for me, I didn't just take it and run. I just took it and sprinted. And said, Oh, I I can be smaller. I can be smaller. I can be small. And I remember going to the gym one day and I was 20 minutes into a spin class and I fell off my bike because I had no energy because I was demanding that my body show up for me when I was saying, there's no way I'm showing up for you. And the process of, so long story short, I had disordered eating. Um, and another way to put it would be an eating disorder. Eating disorder is a more clinical diagnosis. Um, Disordered eating has a wide range and a wide spectrum. So throughout those years, I was in that wide continuum. Um, And then coming off of that eating disorder, I lost my mind. Like I about lost my mind because the only thing I cared about in life was my body. The only thing that I had to offer when I walked into a room, the most interesting thing I believed about myself was my body. And it was so hard to recover from that. The relationships that suffered, um, the mental and emotional and social health that suffered from that is something that like I took that. And so I've been completely restored and healed and happy and healthy for about three and a half, four years now. And I am so freaking overzealous on teaching women what it looks like to maintain their own balance, to find their own health and to stop dieting constantly, trying to shrink constantly and what it looks like to be big, to be strong Um, and not even physically, but like to take up space as a human being is not something to look away from. So I'm sure we'll get into like, what that actually means but that's a little bit about what brought me into this industry and this industry that's so focused on our food and our body I wanted to bring something else so that idea of behavior psychology and brain rewiring is somewhere that I come in and I stand really strong in those shoes.
0: I love it so much and I can just relate to it so much with like the cycle and like oh you can just skip your your period or not have it, like it's just an inconvenience. And I even had doctors tell me like, oh yeah, you can skip your period. I would skip it all summer long and be like, yes, I don't have to deal with it. And it's like, yeah, you don't need it. But like, if you have something natural that's going on in the body, don't you think it's there for a reason? Like, anyways, Mm -hmm. we all know that a period is very important for health. But anyways, we're not going to be really talking about periods today. We're really going to be getting into like the self-love and like the body image and all of that, because I think that is something that we can all relate with. And I think that there are a lot of women struggling with their weight. And I know that you work with women who struggle with this. I work with women who struggle with this. But I think a lot of the time we can look at people who are small and kind of think like, well, what do they have to be miserable about or like, They look perfect, like what do they have to struggle with? But it doesn't really matter what you look like. We all have our own internal struggles. And even if you may look like an athlete or like, you know, fitting into size zero jeans, a lot of the time we don't see ourselves like other people see ourselves. And we just see like it's ugly or it's, you know, it's still too fat or whatever it is. And I think that's really important to remember that everybody is struggling, whether they look like it or not. And we can kind of, kind of like miss that when we think of, oh, well, they look, they look like their life is fine. Like, it's also like the Instagram reel, like the, the social media, like we're just putting our best life on social media, but we're not showing like the struggle. Right. So I think it's really cool that you're sharing this story too, because we all go through this kind of struggle, whether you do have a disorder, you do have disorder eating and eating disorder, you're struggling with food. You're struggling with your body we all do and I think women more so because of you know media and things like that like different standards so for you I'd love to kind of before we dive into more of like the self-love movement and all that what did you really have to let go of in this process because I've also gone through something like this it's not an easy process it's not like overnight but I love to kind of hear like, what did you have to let go of? And maybe like, what did you have to accept or embrace as you went through this journey and you let go of like the obsession around your body and all of that?
1: Oh my gosh, this is a great question. Um, So there's a lot of things that I let go of but I think it's very important to also acknowledge that there's a lot of things that I began to hold on to. And that's where a lot of the changes were made and not necessarily the things I was letting go of because I think there's this sparse of control that we hold so tightly onto like, oh, I need to control my food. Um, There was no part of me that was controlling my food. Food was controlling me. And when we look at the the idea of control, um, I was thinking about food 90% of the day. I was weighing and measuring everything that went into my mouth. Who's controlling who? Like, there was no portion of me that felt in control. I was 100% enslaved. So being able to let go of that. And so what's really interesting is that seemed like a very easy process. And for a lot of my clients, they're like, oh, yeah, I want to let go of that. Your physiology talks back. And so for me, letting go of that control of food resulted in four months of binge eating. Four long months where I struggled with a disorder I never had ever been, I I didn't even know what I was doing. I was so confused because at the time I really didn't have the education to understand what was going on. But I learned very quickly that that was my physiology saying, hey, it's not that I can't trust my body. So that's what I kept saying, like, oh my gosh, my body can't be trusted. I can't have these foods in the house. No, no, no. It's not that I can't trust my body. Binge eating was that physiological response that my body couldn't trust me. And it was going to protect me regardless of if I was going to show up faithfully and feed it consistently. It was going to literally downregulate my leptin, which is your I'm full hormone. And it was going to upregulate my ghrelin, which is my hunger hormone. And it was also going to upregulate my... Um, insulin, which is your fat storage hormone, to allow you to hold on to weight because you aren't taking care of your body. And so it was really important was that was probably the hardest thing for me of why am I now this crazy person? I felt very animalistic almost when it came to food um, because it is a primal response. Animalistic is actually a pretty accurate word to use there. Um, so that was something that I had to let go of and try and just start to trust my body, started to change the way that I thought about my body. And I actually, before, um, before I transferred, I was actually an art major. So I love art. This is sounding like I'm coming out of left field, but I promise I'm gonna bring it around. One of the things that we learned in art school though, was I remember we had to look in the mirror and redraw our nose. Over and over and over and over again. Look in the mirror, stare in the mirror, redraw our eyes over and over and over and over again. And what it taught me was to just observe something without attaching judgment to it. And it was honestly one of the best lessons that I've ever learned when it came to my relationship with my body because I learned, you know, my nose isn't symmetrical, but I didn't have to attach a morality to that, a judgment value to that. It's simply, this is my nose, this is how the lines work this is my nose. It's not, this is a bad nose. And this is a good mm. nose. This is a large nose. This is a small nose. It's literally being able to observe things happening without attaching judgment. So for instance, I was legit wearing for some reason, J crew has a triple zero, which why, but I was wearing triple zeros at one point and to start to observe my body growing into its natural balance size that was not the size that i manipulated it into was something that required a lot of observation without judgment observation without attaching morality of this is good or this is bad it's simply hey i am not a size zero anymore that's okay like this is where my body ends up and that was something that was very helpful for me at that time simply repeating to myself, I want to live at a weight that I do not have to manipulate to maintain. Mm. So when I bring it back to basics, when I bring it back to how I was designed and created and built to live and eat and move, um, where does my body naturally balance out? Because that's actually where I want to be. That's going to be my most joyful spot. And it absolutely is.
0: I love that you mentioned that last part, because I also, I think we've all experienced something like this, but I've also experienced that where it's like you have high school clothes or whatever, and you're just like, I need to fit into them. Or like you literally define your worth as like being able to fit into your clothes. And that was, that was kind of a struggle for me for a while too. And there was something that I heard on Samantha Skelly's podcast, because she's very big into this as well, where they were talking about, like you said, Is it really worth all the struggle and using all of your energy to think about food and control everything to be able to fit into the size zero? Like, is that, are you actually happy? And is this actually fulfilling? And when you think about it, it's usually not the case. Like it's actually not worth it because you are spending so much energy and obsession around this. Whereas if you just accept it and let it go, you can actually become happier. And a lot of the time we're just trying to fulfill this need that again, it's you know hidden under something else. It's never really, I just want to lose weight. Um, and the cycle just keeps going on and on. So I really like that you addressed that. And I love that you said, I can't trust my body versus my body can't trust me because our body knows how to eat and stop. It's like animals. they You don't really see overweight animals. They just stop eating when they're full, right? And so we really can trust our bodies, um, but we have to kind of learn how to understand them. And as you mentioned, like, it was really a primal response. So it's really understanding what does my body need, and then it won't be acting out. And so I know there's definitely a growth in the self-love movement, which I'd like to talk a little bit about with you. And a lot of messages out there are saying things like, you know, just love yourself, accept yourself. But this can be really tricky. Like, it's a lot easier said than done. And for most women, I find that this can be really frustrating because they don't even know where to start. If you've been hating your body forever and somebody just tells you just love yourself, it can be really triggering and like really annoying because they're like, I don't love myself. So for you, what's your take on the self-love movement and how do we even start loving ourselves and our bodies?
1: Yes. My take on the self-love movement is probably one that isn't widely held or widely popular um, right now with the kind of rah, rah, feel good. um, You are it, you are like all that you need. And like, I do think there's so much truth in that but I think it's so important for us to wrap our minds around the idea that the root of both self-love and self-hatred is self-obsession. It's the same exact root. It's the same exact base that breeds both of them. And we're taking this woman who is spending 20 minutes crying in front of the mirror because she hates her body. And we're saying, hey, stay in front of the mirror. Stay in front of the mirror. And now say 10 affirmations of things you love about your body. But at the end of the day, she's still spending her time in front of the mirror. At the end of the day, she still hasn't changed what she thinks about how she finds value in herself she's still in front of the freaking mirror and so that's what i'm actually like we were when i said before like going back to how are we built to function think about what we were built to find fulfillment in we were never intended to find fulfillment in that mirror So we can add as many hours as we want to to our time in front of the mirror. We can change that dialogue for time in front of the mirror. But at the end of the day, we're not finding satisfaction and fulfillment in our bodies. And at the end of the day, it leads to very boring conversations, to be honest, because when we think of what's going on in our head, if it's simply, I love my arms, I love my arms, I love my arms, what are you going to add to this conversation? What can you possibly add to this conversation? It leads us into very mind-numbing conversations that we're having with women all the time. I encourage my clients constantly, look at the conversations around you. And that's one of the most mind-blowing things to them is they'll be like, I didn't realize that all day, every day, every woman around me is talking about her body. I'm like, yeah, because they're thinking about it. And there's really no way to cover that up. And when we're constantly So one other route this takes is, we need to start paying attention to the way that we value others. Because it is impossible to find a different value in yourself than the value you look for in others. So if you're looking through your Instagram feed and you're following all of these supermodels, all of these Sports Illustrated bikini models, and you're double tapping, literally validating that that is what I wanna be, We cannot be surprised when we look for that same thing in our own bodies. But what would it look like if we diversify our Instagram feed? What would it look like if we change those conversations to try and find interest? And, And Evelyn Boyle actually, or Evelyn Tribble, who wrote Intuitive Eating, actually words this in a way that I really love. She says, your body is an instrument, not an ornament. And when we treat our body as an ornament of like, how can I look? How can I look? How about we ask a different question of what can I be? Who can I be? Who can I serve? Like there's so much more to life that exists outside of that mirror. So let's not add one more moment to that conversation in front of the mirror.
0: Oh, I love it so much. And I just love so many points you brought up, like the valuing others and valuing yourself. I think something that also comes up is when we're judging others, it's also coming from, you can't judge others if you're not judging yourself as well, right? Like it doesn't exist. And so I think that's really something important to remember as well, because it's really a mirror reflection of what's going on externally or what you're doing externally. Um, And this also kind of brings up like aging because the aging process can be very difficult for a lot of women too. Um, I know in some countries like aging is, like you're seen as wise and it's like, it's a total different concept from like Western countries, but it can be very difficult because, you know, we're told, you know, get the wrinkle cream or get Botox or whatever. And all these celebrities, they they don't look like they're aging at all. And again, it's like the the media that's portraying all of this and like the normal kind of way our body should look. And this can get really difficult because aging is not something we just can't do. Like we can't avoid it. And so if we're already not accepting our bodies when we're, you know, young and agile, whatever, then how are we going to accept them when they change in age and we have wrinkles and things like that as well? So that's something that I think it needs to start as soon as possible as well, because when we go through that transition, it's really about I am way more than my body. It's it's about so much more than that. Right. So I think that, as you mentioned as well, with like the unattainable levels of perfection and bodies like the models, like they don't even look like that. Everything is airbrushed now too, right? So it's like very difficult to reach that kind of level of perfection. So for you, I know you talked about, you know, what are you surrounding yourself with? And obviously we can modify that, but that can be difficult, right? And Mm -hmm. so how can we really rebel against these norms when they are really everywhere? And how can we, at the same time, learn to accept our flaws?
1: Ooh, i love this so first of all that concept of flaws where does that come from that concept of this isn't right well like let's get a really clear definition of what is right so um i mean even even talking about social media really quick there is a 16.5 billion dollar in just 2021 plastic surgery industry and that spike um is up 65% since social media. And now we actually see young women, younger and younger and younger, coming in with not pictures of celebrities anymore, not pictures of models anymore, but pictures of themselves with these face altering apps because, and what's are finding? And um, there was a plastic surgeon that was interviewed recently and he was noting that like they put photos on the wall of the patients that they see and like, they do work. And what he started to notice is like, oh my gosh, we're basically creating the same face over and over and over again. And it's very Kylie Jenner-esque with, um, all right, we need a smaller nose, bigger lips, bigger eyes, like the fox eyes, whatever it is. And we're trying to take away all diversity. We're trying to take away any single portion of us that looks different than this ideal that is created with every single face altering app, like that's really messed up. It's just insane to me. But so that's where I would actually start, like number one, really easy, get rid of filters. Like get rid of filters so that you can actually stop training your brain to start acknowledging you as this altered version. And what what do you think psychologically is happening when you're posting a physically altered picture and getting a ton of great feedback on that. There is nothing more damaging than getting feedback for something you're not. There is nothing that keeps us farther away from our bodies than that. Um, So that would be number one, stop using those filters. Number two, um, when it comes to those affirmations, I'm actually not in any way against affirmations, but they can't be lies. So what we do is we start to say affirmations that we truly believe as lies. Like we don't actually believe them. And so instead of going from, I hate what I see in the mirror to, I love my body, I love my body, I love my body. um, That first step for my clients is simply speaking with respect. So you don't actually have to love someone to speak with respect. You don't actually have to be infatuated by someone to be respectful. We know this with our employers. We know this with these family members that were like, Nope, not today. Um, Even if you don't like someone, you can speak respectfully. And that's what I ask my clients to do with their body is simply to just get almost a more formal level of you would never speak that way to someone that you liked. You would never speak that way to someone you didn't like. So there's no reason that these like vehement, malicious words should be going on in our head because why would we ever show up for someone that we do not love? Like that is absolutely going to bleed into the way that you go and prepare your lunch. Or if you're going to show up for that workout, that's absolutely going to bleed into there because you will self-sab or you will sabotage someone that you don't think is worthy. So turning to speaking with respect and a way that I really love doing this with clients is tell me what, tell me about your function. So if you're upset about your legs, I want you to tell me in the past day what they've done for you. If you're upset about your stomach, I want you to tell me how it's digesting food and actually understand what's going on there. Because I promise you, if you lost that function, you would give everything you had to get it back. And when we can shift from keeping our body as an ornament to starting to understand how much it is doing for us and keeping it as an instrument, we develop a completely different relationship with our body that is not fixated on how we look but on what we are capable of and that's empowering rather than rooting every single part of the way we see ourselves as I am inadequate
0: it's empowering I love that so important that you brought up like the self-talk because we're really spending all of our day inside our head and we are always spending time with ourselves so you know a lot of people will be like oh I'm gonna like rid of toxic relationships or whatever this person isn't good for me i'm going to kind of like modify my environment but then we kind of forget about but who's the person living in your head right like is that an empowering talk or not so so important that you brought that up and i also agree with the affirmations like i am big on affirmations but you can tell when you're bullshitting yourself like whether it's around health or money or whatever, prosperity, I like to kind of look at like, how do we bridge the gap between what we want and where we are? So like, for instance, using the word I'm learning to, I'm beginning to can be helpful because it's not like, it's not a lie, but it's moving from where you are towards where you want to go. So I think that's really important because a lot of the time people are like, I use affirmations, it doesn't work. But yeah, there is a method to it. So that is really important to talk about. Um, But I know you talked about Moving from like the restrictions and control, and now you're you're really preaching like the more intuitive eating, or this freedom, this sort sort of freedom around food, where you're not constantly being controlled by it, right? And so, this definitely triggers this loss of control as we talked about, and this can really go against our thinking because when we think about like intuitive eating, we think, well, I'm just going to be out of control, right? And it does bring up a lot of fear, so. Where do we even start with this when people are coming from controlling their food all the time, like they're on diets, going towards like trusting their body, being more intuitive with it?
1: Yeah. So first of all, um, I do absolutely teach intuitive eating, but I do actually kind of push away and push back from these labels. Even the label of intuitive eating, because intuitive eating comes with 10 principles and some of those might not work as efficiently for every single person. They might not resonate with every single person. So I've had clients that they're not coming from the same spot. And when everyone's coming from the same spot and has had the same experiences, we can have the same exact implementation. It's simply not the case with everyone. So, um, I like, for example, I still, with all of my clients, I teach them how to cook. I teach them how to meal prep. Um, And it's not a meal plan. So it's not named a meal plan by any stretch of the imagination. It's a cooking guide. I want to teach you how to make real food. You are allowed to have anything at any time. You are allowed to have ice cream. You are allowed to have cookies. You are allowed to have all of the things that you are looking for, that you are craving. Um, And you are also allowed to have a salad. You are also allowed to have a smoothie. You are also, so being able to build in even, so I have some clients that don't start cooking their own food until six weeks in. Some of them never start and they're just not at that spot yet. And that's okay. Um, But I do think that it's important to note that like, their food is so there's this beautiful relationship between food and the body that food is this nourishment not a manipulation again like we're not going into that idea of manipulation we're using food as nourishment it's just impossible to ever see it that way when we're in the crux of disordered eating it's impossible to ever see that oh if i didn't have this it would actually be good for me like no, no, it's impossible to see it that way until we've healed our relationship with food. So freaking step one is we need to heal our relationship to food before we can ever, like you don't need more information. And my my program, like the program I take all my clients to, I teach all of the things about nutrition. I want you to understand all of that after you've healed your relationship with food. Because you really truly do not need, when someone is coming from this chronic dieting, you don't need more information. Because information will lead you to believe that it's rules. And rules um, and structure is not this four-lettered word, um, but structure that's not yours, structure that's put on you, That's that's when it becomes a cage structure that you put to protect yourself, shelter that you put to give yourself a home, that's when it's beautiful. So there's a difference between like a structure that serves as a shelter and something that gives you a lot of um peace and joy and encouragement versus a cage. And that's what these food rules are. These food rules are a cage. And first of all, most of them are not even right. They're just new food rules to sell a new diet. Um, but to answer your question, like what it looks like to move into more of a freedom, we first need to gain that clarity of what our food rules are. What are these rules that are external? Because we spend so much time focusing on all the external rules, not acknowledging that we've never thought twice about our internal cues. Like we have eight, you have eight hormones in your body that are solely responsible for regulating your optimal intake. You literally have MyFitnessPal built inside of you, but we do not know how to listen because anytime we experience signals, we suppress them. Anytime we experience communication in our body, we say, no, 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 that's too much food, or no, 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 I I can't be trusted. And we think we can't be trusted because we restrict. So I'll paint a picture for you. Um, If you've restricted cookies, and oh my gosh, I would die to have a cookie. Wow, a cookie is gonna be so good. And you decide one day, you know what? I'm done saying no, I'm gonna have cookies and then I'll start again tomorrow. Why in the world would you ever have a normal amount of cookies? Like restriction is what is breeding this fixation with food restriction is what is breeding this obsession. And that's kind of where I want to start is what are you restricting? Because I promise you, that's also probably the same thing you're overeating and feel out of control around. Can we bring that into your life? And instead of saying like, having these freaking camps of good food and bad food, is this beneficial? Marcus Aurelius was a philosopher in 8108. And there's a portion of his book that I highlighted like 75 times a few years ago. And he said, to simply just ask yourself at every moment, is this beneficial? And imagine if we did that with food. Not, is this good, is this bad, because that's so relative. There's physically beneficial foods. I'm not saying there are not. There are absolutely foods that are more physically beneficial for your body. But there are also foods that are socially beneficial for your body. There are also foods that are emotionally beneficial for our body. And we're only focusing on social and emotional beneficial food, Socially and emotionally beneficial foods, our physical health suffers. And if we're only focusing on physically beneficial foods, our social and emotional health suffers. So there needs to be a balance. But if we have this idea that this balance needs to look like this diet, that this balance has to look like someone else's food rules, we never get the ability to ever create our own.
0: Oh, so good. And I also I really want to touch into the notion of like the no, the good and bad foods, like the no list versus this is what I also went through. And I see this a lot with, you know, PCOS women. It's like, PCOS-friendly foods are non-PCOS-friendly foods, and these are good and these are bad. And I've had this a lot with clients where, you know, I suggest like, maybe let's remove this, let's avoid this food for a bit. What I also focus on is like crowding out. So it's not like, let's remove dairy and then yeah, no cheese, have fun. It's kind of like, what can you have instead? Like, like, let's crowd out your plate. Like, let's focus on abundance. What are alternatives that you can have? Because it's not about deprivation, right? but it's always about is this food benefiting me or not? Which is what I loved um, that you said. Because some foods may actually not be benefiting you. Like dairy for me, nope, I don't feel good. And like my body doesn't like it. And no, I'm not good with it. Um, and so this is choosing it out of more of a sense of self-love and self-respect because I actually know what it feels like when I eat dairy and I'm like. not worth it and I don't feel good and I actually like feeling good in my body so I'd love for you to touch on that a little bit in terms of like choosing foods out of like no I can't have it versus like actually I choose to feel good right
1: yeah so it's really important to note that this change doesn't happen overnight and if you've been dieting for years if you've been restricting for years if you've had this fear around food for years there might be this continuum of compensation that happens. So there might be this compensation where, all right, well, now I'm allowed to have quote unquote bad foods. Well, now I want all of them. For a lot of people, this phase is actually necessary in healing their relationship with food because you might find that the first night you have mac and cheese and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have this every night for the rest of my life. And then you have it the next night and you have it the next night. And then you realize that, okay, it's not actually that exciting. Like this fixation that we've put on it, it doesn't actually make me feel really good. And I I actually like, I'm okay with the fact that maybe I can actually have almost half a bowl of mac and cheese because I know that I'm allowed to have it later. And if I'm allowed to have this food later, then there's no reason to feel this really high paced frustration almost when we're eating and like this hesitancy or, um, need to eat everything and then go back and get seconds. Cause I'm never going to have it again. Um, so I do think it's important to note that first for, for some people, that's a really important phase that has to happen. Um, not for all people, but for some people, that's a really important phase that has to happen of being able to acknowledge that there needs to be some letting go of that white knuckle grip that we have on all of our food rules. Um, And you might feel a little bit out of control. And that's why I love working with clients through this phase to give them that daily encouragement because that growth exists in those daily moments. Um, So beyond that, when it comes to starting to understand, so we're I'm actually saying this is as your relationship to food is healing and after it's healed, what it actually looks like to say no to something um, in a really beneficial way. So I want (laughs) to, I want to think of this as like, if you had a shrimp salad and you got food poisoning and you came to me and you're like, I feel horrible. Like I literally just vomited all night. And I was like, Hey, Lawrence, guess what? You don't have to have a shrimp salad again. There is no way you would ever read that as restriction because it really wasn't benefiting you. It wasn't serving you in any way. You would read that as reward. And so once we've already healed our relationship with food, when we start saying no to something, we should also be acknowledging all of the things that we're saying yes to. And by the way, it's our no. It's not someone else's no. So when I'm saying no to something, it's because I'm saying no to something, not because someone told me I should say no to something. So the things that don't really serve me do not feel like a restriction because I've made a decision for something that serves me a lot more. So for you specifically with dairy, you're saying no to dairy because you're also saying yes to lower levels of inflammation and the joy that you've experienced with your skin. Like that's a really important differentiation to seeing. So like reward is saying yes, restriction is saying no. And like I was saying before, like that restriction leads to fixation. And when you realize that these foods don't have as much power over you and something I check in on, my favorite thing to check in on with clients is we'll check in multiple times as I'm working with them. All right. What percentage of your brain is going towards food? And getting to see that number come down and when that food no longer holds this heavy weight in our mind and in our life, it becomes so much easier to actually make our own decisions. And those decisions need to be educated. So like the way that I work with my clients, when I'm teaching them about gluten, I'm teaching them both sides. I'm teaching them why it may not work for you and how to see if your body is signaling that. But I'm also teaching them, and I know you do this exact same thing, But I'm also teaching them why it actually might work for you, and if it does work for you by your body signaling these things, then here are some really beneficial ways to include gluten into your life. And at that point, it becomes your choice. It becomes your quote unquote rule. And it's no longer gluten is bad. It's, hey, it doesn't serve me or it's not beneficial or it does serve me and I can consume it with joy.
0: So empowering. Yeah, I love it. And I, again, could talk forever, but we will need to wrap up the podcast. So I think I'm going to have to have you back again because we didn't get through it all. But um thank you so much for coming on and for leading this movement around just, you know, optimal health and happiness and fulfillment. I think it's so important and there needs to be a louder voice. So I'm just so happy that you are another voice in this movement and before we hop off, I'd love for you to share, where can people find you and how can they kind of get to know you a bit more if they feel like they're resonating?
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much. Um, you can find me on Instagram at keep your plants on. Um, that is keep your plants, not pants on. I've gotten <laughs> my fair share of like strange looks because people assume I'm like a sex therapist. Love um, it. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm keep your plants on and and there's tons more puns where that came from. And then you can find me and yeah, I am very active on Instagram. I am constantly helping people. So like if you work with me, or if you do not work with me, I love being a part of any portion of your health journey. So please feel free to reach out or just like come along for the ride. And then you can find me on my website at how to keep your on.com.
0: I love the name. It's so original. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. Awesome. Yeah. So I will put the links in the show notes for you guys to check out. I highly recommend following her. It's been such a joy chatting with you and I thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us. Thank you so much.